hello again um we're here with another uh hyperfixation presentation as i am calling it and probably Woo. no one else is um, yes i am jessica jesse jess wrote the thing and by the thing i mean heinous investigations which is technically not what we are doing today um also with me we've got uh james here that's me hello i've already talked <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the wonderful JoJo's presentation. So good. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Tuan here with us this time around. Hi, Hi Tuan. I'm Tuan. I'm here for the ride. Yeah. We also have uh, the one person who knows the topic of tonight's presentation besides me, Maria. Yes, I'm Maria, and that's why I'm here, because I am also obsessed, and I just want to hear <laughs> Jess talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the topic for tonight's presentation is Good Omens, which you've heard me talk about so, so many times. <laughs> uh, my sister, who I was on a phone call with earlier today, said, you know, you should have somebody go through um, all of your past bonus content and make a compilation of every time you've met, you've mentioned Good Omens for this episode. And I'm like, that person would be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I think I won't yeah. be doing that, but just imagine I did. Um, yes. I mean, uh, imagine that. And also, fun fact, not to interrupt Jess, but fun fact, we did have to reenact the season two poster when we were all hanging <laughs> together in person. That's, that's, oh my that's gosh. the depth of obsession. Uh, you know, it's a good thing that most people listen to this on uh, audio things, so they probably won't see when I inevitably put the image of the two of us reenacting the season two <laughs> promo poster in this video. <laughs> Uh, people on patreon good for you uh, i mean I'm once nice. again uh listeners you can always uh harass us on social media if you really really want us to put this up on youtube for all to see or maybe we'll just do it eventually but probably you're better off just annoying us we all have short attention spans here well, all right. probably don't do that for me because i will never see it <laughs> And uh, yeah, speaking of short attention spans, I'm going to do a sponsorship bid now. <laughs> um, well, more like a cross promo because today's hyperfixation presentation is brought to you, but not literally brought to you by the show Jollyville Radio. It is a podcast that has the following description, uh, a radio broadcast from the semi-fictional town of Jollyville, which sketches and vignettes from the town voiced by a full cast. We are fans of wacky towns here. Uh, each episode ends by featuring real people serving their communities in the real world. I have actually listened to a few episodes of this and it is delightful. Uh, yeah, highly, highly recommend. And I think it's also on its way to concluding. So that means that you'll be able to just sit and binge everything and hear some really nice stories and also some completely absurdist uh, skits. Uh, there's some really good ones in there. Somebody who grew up in a town that is it was like a smaller part of a bigger town it was a whole thing but uh i definitely appreciated the humor uh you can find them also on uh, their social media accounts at jollyville radio on facebook and instagram thanks guys for for wanting to be a part of our little bit here thanks all right and with that we can get on to the core of this our presentation <laughs> I'm ready. Let's share the screen. Well, and by ready, good. I mean not at all ready because I didn't rehearse this. 
<laughs> All right, mine was a train wreck. So. No, no, <laughs> was it? I think it was wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to find the best way to do this. Yes, we're going to. That's how we're going to do this. All right. So, everyone, the presentation is Good Omens. And I'm trying to press the arrow, but now I'm realizing because it's a screen share, I can't press keys, but yay! (laughs) I figured it out. (laughs) I figured out you can press the trackpad. Okay, but yes, good omens. Yay! So, good omens. It is a best-selling novel. It is is now a popular series streaming on Amazon Prime actually seen this one except i only saw season one well that's okay well Well, then honestly you already know a huge chunk of this because one of the great great things about the show that i'll probably touch on again later is it's pretty dang faithful to the book in a lot of places which is so lovely thanks neil gaiman you you really you really did terry pratchett some justice here thanks so i'm gonna move right on to the shrine (laughs) So when I, I've mentioned this before to people, um, so I, I've mentioned this, I think on some of our bonus content and to you guys just outside of our little podcast recording sphere. But, uh, when I say the shrine, it is a large amount of good omens collection things that I have in my apartment. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. That I, yeah, that I casually call the shrine. Here's a dissection of it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, this is basically an assortment of a whole bunch of things, including American editions of the book, an illustrated edition of the book, um, the British edition of the book, the TV series script, or at least for the first season, because at the time, I don't think they were 100% sold that they were going to do a season two, a coloring book of Good Omens that I was just gifted for my birthday from my little sister. Love you, Joj. TV series guide. the um what else do i got here oh yeah so much more uh some art of some characters from uh new york comic-con i don't remember the name of the artist i wish i did but it's absolutely lovely it's a nice stained glass style that i am very into um since i took this photo i was able to frame them finally after like three years uh also got some plushies maria has the same plushies we got them at c2e2 uh, I think that's, I think they're called Night Owl Workshop. They do a whole bunch of plushy things. It's wonderful. And now I have my my two yeah, little fine. fluffy boys. <laughs> Maria is showing off her cast one. I honestly don't know what, uh, whether or not your guys' boxes will show up in the final recording of this, but you were holding up mm-hmm. cast. Uh, Either way. Yes. I also got an Angel Wings mug, which is similar in style to a mug used on the TV show. Also Funko Pops. Um, a tasteful Lego recreation of a scene where two of the characters, I'm trying not to spoil too much just yet, are in the top of a a double-decker bus. So you can't really see them, but there are two little minifigures in the top of the bus uh, in this Lego double-decker bus. And also holy water, just a jar of holy water. I was wondering if you were just going to completely skirt past the fact that you uh, no, I thought very I... obviously labeled holy water on this. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's fully holy water. That is straight up blessed water I that I just casually own now. Yeah. We're like, for real? Yeah, it's it's for real, for real. What, I what may or may not have been using it. <laughs> what? Uh, if I remember correctly, uh... you can 
like infinitely reproduce that now uh if you i think it has to be i think you can dilute it up to like 25 percent or something i don't entirely remember but yeah. yeah um so yeah basically uh the backstory if you really want to know the backstory of that to divert from good omens for a second uh Which basically my family well my oh no it's just it's really simple it's when my family was moving um was moving houses uh they i came to to help them move and uh my mom's like hey can you clean out the linen closet and then randomly in the back of the linen closet i found like a gallon of holy water from ireland <laughs> you know uh, because my, grandma, cause my grandma is super Irish Catholic. So I guess uh-huh. somebody at some point when she was living with us must have given her an entire gallon of holy water. So I, I took some anything. in a jar for me. <laughs> and now it is part of my good omen shrine because holy water does come into play in good omens. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'll exactly get to that detail, but yeah. Yeah. Yes, Jess is very obsessed with this is what this slide says. <laughs> <laughs> and but why 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 not yet picture of david Tennant and michael sheen <laughs> we're not ready for that part yet <laughs> let's start with the story <laughs> oh uh good omens does have an incredibly lovely uh story it is quality modern satire i think i recently described it to someone as like the best example of modern satire that i know of um, but to give you a quick synopsis, uh, I wrote this down a couple weeks ago. What if the apocalypse, but dumber? <laughs> so the basic plot is an angel and demon have known each other literally since the beginning of time. They end up living on earth, pretending to do important angel slash demon shit for their respective employers while they really just goof off and go on dates. I mean, enjoy all the cool stuff humans managed to come up with over the past several thousand years. Uh-huh. However, <laughs> yeah. However, mm-hmm. this comfortable reality is suddenly threatened by the arrival of the Antichrist. But are these two idiots going to let some little snot-nosed turd bring on the end of days and spoil their fun? Heck no! And thus begins an over-11-year-long zany scheme and subsequent adventure to prevent the apocalypse. Oh, and there's queen music. Lots and lots of queen music. Essential. Yes. To So that's the general, uh, yeah, the general vibe. And to uh, elaborate on what I mean by lots and lots of queen music, I have... Every queen song in Good Omens that I happen to remember. These are every song that was either referenced in the book slash TV show or was literally used in the TV show. We wow. have. Yeah, I was have. about to ask if you meant, like, jokingly. Oh, they made they played the music in the in the. Books? Oh, they did. They did in some. Some of them made it in here, but there's also ones that were referenced. There were also references in the books, and this is every one okay. that I could find and or remember. So we have. Bohemian Rhapsody, It's a Hard Life, These Are the Days of Our Lives, Bicycle Race, You're My Best Friend, Somebody to Love, Another One Bites the Dust, I'm in Love with My Car, We Will Rock You, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, Killer Queen, We Are the Champions, I Want to Break Free, and Fat Bottomed Girls. I love Queen, so this was a very welcome surprise uh, when I read the book. Actually, that's not entirely true. I really loved a few songs from Queen. Then I read this book, then I was like, oh, I should probably listen to more Queen. And now it's my favorite band. Thanks, Good Omens. The next thing I want to talk about are the characters, of which there are many, but we're going to start with the most important ones. We start with Crowley. Some people pronounce it Crowley. It's Crowley. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry to everyone who doesn't say it Crowley. Um, 
but it's Crowley. <laughs> uh, AKA uh, Crowley's full name, which I guess you could say in that he made it up, uh, is Anthony J. Crowley. He was formerly called Crawley because way back in the early times, he was a snake, specifically the snake that uh, did the whole temptation of Adam and Eve bit. Uh, that was Crowley, wow. in the, according to Good Omens. Uh, and there's a whole, the book and the TV show both start off with a whole funny little conversation between him and the uh, next character who we will be discussing about it. And it's just, it, it sets the tone for the whole thing. You're like, okay, you know, this is going to be just sarcasm out the wazoo about everything we can get out there in terms of religion and philosophy. Good stuff. Also about Crowley. He owns the best car. It is, I believe in the book, a 1926 Bentley, one owner from new, with that previous owner being Crowley. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it is his baby. I have seen fanfics where Crowley is shipped with this car. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, fully just, I think it's one of two loves of his life. The other one, once again, <laughs> we will be getting to shortly. Uh, but yeah um he is the only being who can rock sunglasses at all times uh he at first i think he just did it as a necessity because he's got the snake eyes thing going on and he was just like okay i guess i can't freak the freak the humans out with this but then after a while he just started doing it i think is the general (laughs) consensus he's just like i look cool and Mm -hmm. we love that for him also to note, his plants are his children, his very scared, very expendable children. Uh, <laughs> Crowley has a ton of houseplants in his apartment for some reason. I've seen a whole bunch of things. Somebody's like, it parallels the Garden of Eden, this, that, and the other thing. But the important thing to know about these plants is that, yeah, he he pretty much uh, verbally abuses them and plants have feelings and he terrifies them. Oh, uh, there's a great uh, bit in both the book, I think in the book and the movie, but definitely not movie, uh, the TV show, but definitely in the TV show, he makes an example of one of these plants uh, for all the other plants to see. They are terrified, but they're also beautiful because they're so scared of Crowley. They don't want to be disposed of. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, I also wrote, fun to get drunk with, mostly. Just just hope he's not also sad when drinking is involved. Um but yeah, it's a fun little skill that he has as a demon that he can just get sober really fast. So no consequences when drinking, just fun times, fun times with fun guys. Hey. Uh, uh, before I get to the final note here, uh, I just want to say I've got some images up here. I've got the promo image from the first season. We've got him amazingly stepping out of the flaming bookshop, which is that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, watch the show, read the book. Uh, we've also got a little uh, fan art bit. I don't know who, I, I just see Haller Vic. I don't know who you are, but you did this amazing drawing. So I hope people go and give you monies. Uh, but it's little snake Crowley spraying a plant. And uh, also freaking Crowley dressed as a nanny for part of the aforementioned zany scheme. And my God, David Tennant looks incredible. David Tennant always looks incredible. Yeah, like what a beautiful woman. 
for reals, like just 10 out of 10. Uh, and finally, final note about Crowley uh, in this instance is um, don't you ever make him think you hurt his boyfriend. Speaking of, we have a zero fail. This is the angel character of our main focus duo in this book. Um, just, just soft boy, which I literally wrote here, soft boy. <laughs> um, I've mentioned before that I think in a previous talk that Aziraphale is a fictional character who I think would get along with Elliot very well, but yeah. with some major differences. I mentioned this to some people before. Uh, imagine that Elliot from the podcast were given a rare book. He would read it, enjoy his time with it, and then give it to like a museum or a library or somewhere where other people can enjoy it because that's that's what you do in polite society. If Aziraphale were given a rare book, he would hold on to it for dear life and never let it go. Just fully book dragon, just hoarding as many books as possible. Hence, extreme bibliophile. Um, he has a bookshop that is like he's like his cover on earth is like him being a bookseller yet he tries incredibly hard to never ever sell a single book it's basically just a bookshop where he can hoard his book collection mm -hmm. so he's got like this thing where he does like erratic opening hours he makes the bookshop look really old and dingy just everything possible to hold on to books i think many of us can relate uh other notes he had one job Whereas Crowley was the snake in the Garden of Eden with the whole Adam and Eve thing, uh, Aziraphale kind of fits the, uh, I guess, the Prometheus role in that he was the angel of the Eastern Gate of Eden. He had a flaming sword given to him by God, and he just decided, uh, hey, uh, Adam and Eve, you're already expecting a kid, and I feel really bad for you that you got cast out and everything. So here's a freaking sword that's on fire. You have fire now and weapons. Congratulations. Um, and thus, everything was downhill from there. Thanks, Aziraphale. Hmm. Uh, also about him. Probably smart. And by probably, yeah, he's smart. Definitely he's smart. gay. Yeah, definitely gay. Uh, I love it. Yeah, to quote the book directly, uh, there's several impressions you get of Aziraphale at first, but the direct quote I'm looking at for one of the things you get an impression of him, I think the ones are he's smart, he's English, and then the other one is gayer than a tree full of monkeys on nitrous oxide, I believe is the yes! quote. Yes! <laughs> yeah, what? he just gives that vibe. Yeah. This is a direct quote, Twan. This okay. is a direct quote. I misquoted it in the chat, but that is a direct quote. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm seeing the chat go up in numbers and I'm like Maria's going for it yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be quiet though I'm being quiet <laughs> <laughs> you can comment if you want I was I commented occasionally during the Jojo's talk <laughs> but yes um yeah definitely gay clueless AF we will get more into that later but I see high and low whiz got it <laughs> <laughs> he really <laughs> He really doesn't understand how relationships work. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. He's got um, <laughs> amusing uh, Bible and prophetic works collections. Uh, they talk about the prophetic works in the TV show. They gloss over the amusing Bibles, which I'm really sad about. But part of his collection, besides Brooks of Prophecy, is he also has Bibles with really weird misprints. One of which includes oh, yeah. something called the bugger all this Bible, which is literally like the printer has like a nervous breakdown halfway through printing it. 
So you just see his breakdown so in good. the middle of the Bible. Please and it's really book. funny. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a fun note. Uh, Lover of Tartan, the pattern for anybody who doesn't know in America, it's called plaid. Plaid is the fabric. Tartan is the pattern. Get it right. Um, yeah. And uh, just before I get to my final note, once again, just going through these images, we got the promo art, uh, him with the flaming sword, and then this adorable bit from his magic act, because while Aziraphale is an angel who can fully perform full scale miracles, he still decides that putting on a magic act with human illusion is way more fun and thus is the worst magician ever. But you know what? <laughs> he really went out there and he did that. And I support he him. He's he never did. done anything wrong ever. <laughs> he done did that. <laughs> and then I wrote, finally, this for this soft boy. He is a certified BAMF. This guy is, yes, he's a soft boy. And they try to emphasize that in the TV show. But in the book, he is a straight up badass. Like, I had to go through the book, like, 10 or so times just to make sure I wasn't hallucinating the fact that there was a bit where some sketchy like business dudes who may or may not be part of the mob came in and were like, it'd be a tragedy if this nice bookshop that we wanted to purchase from you suddenly went on fire. And then it says they left after saying that to him and they never came back. The implication to me is that Aziraphale straight up disappeared these motherfuckers. He totally did absolutely hardcore (laughs) there's also a funny bit that like apparently he's so good at doing his taxes that he's been like investigated for tax fraud numerous times just as another fun note anyway (laughs) next up we have the them these are the children of our story uh we have adam who is the aforementioned antichrist Adam Young, he is the leader of this little gang of rapscallions. uh, And he comes up with the best games. And he has incredibly unsettling, decidedly unchildlike behavior. To be fair, the them all kind of do. Somebody said once, I think that Terry Pratchett doesn't know, like I saw it on a YouTube essay where it's like Terry Pratchett doesn't know how to write children. And I'm like, oh no, he knows how to write children. He writes really scary children. Yeah, he writes Children really yeah. Yeah. And let's be real. Yeah. Who among us wasn't obsessed with some very morbid facet of history? Oh, this is real. accurate representation of childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bit where they fully reenact the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> um, Damn. Yeah, that was Adam's idea. Uh So, meanwhile, uh, so yeah, a big part of this plot is driven by Adam developing his antichrist powers on his 11th birthday anyway we've also got pepper the girl boss of the gang and i mean that in every sense of the word uh her real name is pippin galadriel moonchild because her mom was a hippie for a little while um and she will cut you (laughs) for real she is like she takes no prisoners man um They've also got Wensleydale. His real name is Jeremy. Not that anyone uses it, including his parents. And he is that one friend who embodies anxiety. If you couldn't guess which one of them was Wensleydale, it's the one in the corner who looks absolutely mortified and has glasses on. Um, oops, my bad. <laughs> Almost went to the other side there. We've also, and then finally we've got uh, Brian, 
of the children, uh, Brian is very supportive. He's um, especially of Adam. He's kind of like, I mean, I think if Pepper weren't the number two, Brian would be the number two. Uh, and he's just always incredibly dirty to the point where it's concerning. When I was reading the book, I just imagined he had like a pig pen cloud of dust following him everywhere he went. Good times. And then Dog, who is a dog, sort of. I love Dog. In the loosest sense. Yes. <laughs> he was supposed to be a hellhound, but then we got Dog. And we yep. got a heck hound. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dog was kind of like, why am I going to be part of this Armageddon business? I can just be a dog. Dogs have good yeah. lives, man. And I can just be someone's precious little boy. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Who would not want yeah. that? Exactly. <laughs> All right. And to again with the buttons. And then to counteract the them, we have the horsemen. Yes, the oh. four horsemen of the apocalypse of legend. We have war, the fiery redhead femme fatale at first, but then she gets really scary, like unsettlingly scary. And they do a really good job with As that in the TV does. show. Yes, exactly. War seems real sexy at first, and then it's not. <laughs> you know what's up. Uh, famine, the one we blame for McDonald's and Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Anything without nutritional value, this boy is there. Uh, then we have pollution, because Pestilence retired, which I think was a great yep. move on their part. Uh, That's hysterical all things yeah. considered because yeah. Isn't it amazing? It's so doing good. research on the four horsemen pestilence is the result of us changing what one of the other ones was one of the other ones was pestilence was supposed to be conflict <laughs> after a while people were like isn't that just war again uh, <laughs> and then we got pestilence and then now it's pollution <laughs> thanks terry pratchett and neil gaiman this book came out in 1990 and they saw what was coming um so yeah, uh, pollution is, uh, they are hotter than they should be, especially considering how the environmental crisis has gotten worse since Good Omen's original publication. They like make a big deal in both the book and the TV show just to show off how hot pollution is. And I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> Listen, pollution um, is just the introduction of, of things that our bodies are not able to handle, including levels of hotness. <laughs> get it <laughs> and then we have finally death above all your bullshit yeah like the other horsemen are just like so excited they're like getting all hype for the apocalypse they're just like yeah 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 let's do this and death's just kind of in the corner like whatever <laughs> and then just the second that things do or don't work out death is always just kind of like yeah i saw this coming bye <laughs> um we also have, uh, also fun fact, they're bikers in this. Hell yeah. They, yeah, that's the horses. Yeah, they ride, well, not horses, they ride hogs. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they have it's... really badass, they're badass bikers. And uh, there's an honorable mention I would like to give for some more horsemen in the book. Uh, who were really yes, bikers. Yeah, this got this was filmed for the TV show, and then they had to cut it for time and budget oh, reasons. I'm so, I'm mad so upset. But honorable mention, honorable mention to those lovely honorary additional horsemen, grievous bodily harm, cruelty to animals, things not working properly, even after you've given them a good thumping, but secretly no alcohol lager, and really cool people. <laughs> 
rest in peace. <laughs> we deserve to see you. We deserved <laughs> you. Maybe you'll come in season two. Man, I hope so. Please. Oh, a siren. <laughs> okay. Sure, there's a siren in the background now, you know? Appropriate for a presentation about the apocalypse. Let's like keep we heard going. a really hot person. <laughs> <laughs> now we have Anathema Device. She is a cute witch girl and professional descendant. What does that mean, you ask? She looks through an ancestor's book of prophecies, which are, in fact, predicting many things, including the end of days. She has a nice bike. It has a name. It's very cute. Um... Also, uh, she has, oh yeah, her inability to hold on to the single most important object in her family drives the plot. That uh, book of prophecies that I was saying, uh, you can kind of see her holding it in two out of three of these. And the third one, she's holding an index card version of it after she loses it because she's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) She leaves it in Crowley's car. (laughs) And... uh, that just makes things spiral even further out of control. I also wrote here, actually, she also fuels like at least half of Adam's crazy antichrist shenanigans. She like gives him a bunch of weird conspiracy theory magazines and starts spouting off all these like conspiracy things that she knows while hanging out with this child. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that worked out. Uh, And then that kind of just drove the kid to make crazy stuff happen and warp reality. Thanks, Anathema. Uh, Also, um, her and Newt, a.k.a. Newton, who we will be talking about on the next slide. Uh, All I have to say about that is two socially awkward weirdos overcoming an old family grudge. And by old family grudge, uh, their ancestors, one actually... It's kind of a it's kind of a who's who of who murdered who in that scenario, uh, but they overcame it. And uh, yes, please. Also, TV Latina bonus. I'm pretty sure in the original book she was just a regular uh, British lady, but then they decided to make her Latina American in the TV show, and this made me happy because representation rocks. And just look at her; she's she's just such a cute little witch girl with like her quirky glasses. And all She's of her so cute. weird witch paraphernalia uh, and her just doing stuff. We love her. So good. And that will bring us to Newton Pulsifer, a.k.a. Newt. Um, I wrote here, uh, walking death to all electronics. This joke has gotten only funnier since technology has advanced. Basically, anything remotely electrical or technological that Newt touches will break down almost immediately. I think his introductory scene was him as a child causing a power outage to his entire neighborhood. (laughs) Good job, (laughs) Newt. Um, He's got a weird family history. Uh, Basically, uh, one of, uh, as I mentioned before, kind of, now I'll get more detailed. One of his ancestors uh, was one of the uh, witch finders and prosecutors in the olden days in England uh, who just, you know, fully decided to uh, murderify an ancestor of Anathema's who we'll get to shortly. Uh, So yeah, not that Newt really knows about that, Um, but yeah, weird. And he has the second best car. While Curly has the Bentley, Newt has a really weird off-brand, super cheap, I believe Japanese car. Which is hilarious considering that Japanese cars, especially by today's standards, are, I think, accepted to be 
better than American cars, at least in my knowledge. Um, I don't know. I think they're better. But anyway, and it's funny because he calls it Dick Turpin because everywhere he goes, he holds up traffic. <laughs> thanks, Newt. Thanks for thanks for naming your car. And I also wrote, guy manages to score way out of his league with anathema. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's an adorable, like, cuddly little nerd. But look at him. And look at her. Boys punching up. (laughs) And we love that for him. And this is where we will break and make a new Zoom call. Hooray. Hooray. How do I stop the recording? Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, like this. Thank you, some lady. Lady. And we're back. And David's here now. Hi. Yeah, we just did a quick speed run to catch David up on everything he missed, but now we're just gonna get right back to it. (laughs) It's like being shot out of a cannon. Oh yeah. So where we left off last was with Newt. I need to press slideshow. Hooray. So we left off on Mr. Pulsifer here, but now we're moving on. This is Witchfinder Sergeant Chadwell. He is. Oh. That's uh, Chuck. Yes, that's it is. For, that's for, from the good yeah, place. That's for Meg. <laughs> yeah. Or no, it's uh, oh, uh, from Better oh. Call Saul. Oh, Better Call Saul. I'm thinking of the other guy yeah. from the good place, but he's yeah, also yeah, in the yeah, good yeah. place. He is also in The Good Place. Sorry. I got my shows mixed up. I don't remember him in The Good Place. I will have to watch it again. Anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in either that or as a dude who looks so much like him, but I feel like I Googled this before. Anyway. But yes, this is a cool actor whose name I can't remember at the moment, but he's done a lot of stuff. We like him. Um, Anyway, as for Shadwell, uh, I wrote here, indiscernible accent. It's very funny. They write it phonetically in the book and you really have to pay attention when reading his lines. I think he's supposed to be, I don't even know. Sometimes it may, sometimes they make him sound like he's from the North of England. Other times they make him sound like he's from Scotland. Other times they make him sound like another place entirely. It's confusing. No one knows what he's supposed Michael to McKean. be. Michael McKean. Michael McKean, that's his name. Yes, we love Michael McKean. Thank you. Yes. Uh, anyway, yes, but Shadwell's, Shadwell's great. Uh, I wrote here, he is your unhinged granddad who always talks about the war. <laughs> Um, that's, that's a pretty succinct description of his character. He's also hot for Madam Tracy. We're getting there. And I wrote, can you blame him? And you'll see why. You'll see. You hyped up, you hyped up pollution. So, I mean. (laughs) Uh, he also drinks tea with way too much sugar. Just thought I'd like to add that. I think it's like, I don't even know, eight or nine sugars, something ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how he does that. It's horrifying. Even Charlie didn't do that much. Yeah. He's a very like eccentric old man uh and i will say hilariously uh, the flashback version of him in the tv show that you get to see is in my opinion also very attractive but we're getting but that's beside the point uh this uh he's currently michael mckean uh also wrote here uh i think the biggest achievement of shadwell in the entire book is successfully scamming two otherworldly beings out of so much money uh so Witchfinder Sergeant Shadwell is part of the Witchfinder Army, which was established way back in the olden times. You might have heard me mention that Newt's great, however many great times grandfather was a uh, witchfinder, you know, back during all the witch trials and such. 
But, you know, it's the present now, so we don't really need Witchfinders anymore. Uh, mm. But that's still his only profession. So uh, basically, he made up an entire fake roster for the Witchfinder army on paper, and the otherworldly beings I've mentioned are Xerophel and Crowley. <laughs> the two of them think that they have separate contacts. Like, se- well, I think they both think that they're contacting the Witchfinders, but for different reasons. Like, Xerophel's like, oh, they hunt witches. They must be on the heaven side. And Crowley's like, they hunt witches. They must be on the hell side because they hunt them. <laughs> so uh, basically, the two of them, like, say that this is, like, their, their like, insider human, like, intel people. Uh, and it's just Shadwell and a list of made up people. And Crowley, I think would really genuinely have, if, if Crowley had bothered to read the roster, he would have realized, I think some of them are like things like, I don't remember, like Sergeant Milk Bottle or something ridiculous along those lines. Like he's not even trying. He's making up names that he's not even trying. And so like, I think Crowley just doesn't read the payment stuff anymore. It just gives him the money anyway, because Crowley's got bigger things to worry about. And Azarafel genuinely thinks that these are real people because he is <laughs> sweet and naive yeah. and very gullible. So yeah, basically the man's making money doing almost nothing. What a hero. Huh. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's funny that they call him a witch finder. Like the idea that he's like stumbles upon a witch and just goes, all right, well, job's done. <laughs> <laughs> Make the accent more indiscernible now. <laughs> job's done. There it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, last note I have here. Don't let him ask about your nipples. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask about that. Uh, That's just a good advice for life, uh, to be honest. Uh, the picture in the top right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for whatever reason, I don't think they ever explain it, but Sergeant Shadwell has this belief that you can identify a witch by the number of nipples they have. Basically, a witch will have more than two nipples. Uh, he writes, uh, that's why on his little sign here, it says, have too many nipples for witches. Well, in those I don't times, know. I think, I'm pretty sure they never. You see, it is unnatural. And if it is unnatural. That's fair. Witch. That's fair. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that book never explains how he comes about this conclusion, but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And now we get Madam Tracy. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Shadwell's once again. These men are punching up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, she is. And if you were wondering, yes, that is Rita Skeeter from the Harry Potter franchise. <laughs> um, but I'm yes. Looking respectfully. Yes. Uh, but Madam Tracy, uh, I wrote here, uh, spiritual medium on certain days, smug emoji. Uh it's really what great. Did, what, Her and- what did you mean by this? Why is there a smirk emoji? Why is there a think you know. <laughs> I don't think I do. We've just gone over pollution and uh, all of the other horsemen being biker gang members. So this could mean anything. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say this. Um, I believe when Newt's first interaction with her is she mistakes him as uh, one of her clients. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And she's a, she's a badass. She talks about squeezing into a leather penny, you know, she's just going for it. But yeah. Yeah. So someday she does that. Someday she's a spiritual medium. This woman is, she's a woman of many talents. Also. Yeah. Also an absolute sweetheart. 
she's just lovely and she cares about everyone especially Shadwell and Newt when Newt shows up and I uh, speaking of I wrote pretty sure Shadwell needs her to function <laughs> she like he'll like scream at her and call her a Jezebel and all this stuff you know like you do I guess um but she's like she puts tea on for him she makes him dinner she does all this sweet stuff for him and every time he like screams at her she's like okay then dear you know just like you're so sweet <laughs> like you know just fully doesn't phase her she's like oh you quirky man you um yeah so truly we all need to reach the level of inner peace of madam tracy something to aspire to and i wrote we need more of her i would actually pay for a madam tracy spinoff i really would she's just delightful uh and then the last note i wrote here is reacts to being possessed better than any other character in history to my knowledge because yes there are people who have handled being possessed in the long run much better but straight up uh there's a point in the book where we don't have to go into it too much but uh aziraphale ends up like doing some body surfing uh and he ends up, yeah, he possesses a whole bunch of people. Okay. And um, there's actually some funny scenes out of it. Well, some funny, some a little cringy by today's standards, but it was the 90s. Um, but we'll focus on, I was like, the, the funny, the one that still holds up is Aziraphale possesses a televangelist in the Midwest. And it's uh-huh. one of the funniest things I've ever read in a book to this day. Um, so, so funny. And anyway, so he's, he's possessing people attuned to be spiritual mediums. And Madam Tracy's one. So uh, basically, Aziraphale just straight up possesses this woman out of nowhere. And she just is kind of like, oh, cool. You want some tea? I'll put a kettle on. And that's like it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, sure. And then and then when Shadwell comes in on it, she's just like, oh, hey, Shadwell, uh, the voice in my head says we have to avert the apocalypse. You want to go do that? <laughs> and that's just it. This wow. woman is incredible. And we continue. I also put in here Agnes Nutter, uh, the ancestor of anathemas I mentioned, um, who was uh, burned at the stake uh, by Newt's uh, witchfinder ancestor, thou shalt not commit adultery, Pulsifer. That is his name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Read this book. Read this book. (laughs) Uh, Now I understand. The greatest rival to that could only be Agnes Nutter. Oh God, no. Okay. I'm so upset that I laughed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm the one who made the joke. How do you think I feel? <laughs> no. So anyway, uh, this is the, uh, this is the, um, what do I, can't I think of the word? Person who sees prophecies. Someone help me. A prophet. Uh, prophet. A prophet. A literal prophet. Prophet. Yeah. Prophets. Yeah, prophets. Prophets. Prophecies. <laughs> My brain just went seer and nothing else. Also seer. Yeah, that also, also works. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yes, this is the things. this is our prophet of the story. Uh, her prophecies are nice and accurate. Her book, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, is the That's only. That's not allowed. Hang on. <laughs> is the only. Um, it's the only publication to ever correctly predict every single thing. Like every prediction is correct, including oh, so all the ones involving. The <laughs> Continue. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so, like, I'm trying to think, but all of her stuff is written in old timey language, so it's a little hard to decipher. But it's so amusing; it's like a little game when you read the book, um, like to figure out what she's saying. Although some I think are really simple. I think there's one that's literally like, 
um, do not buy Betamax. And like, that's the, that's the thing. That's the prophecy. But like, that's one of the less confusing ones. They're usually more weird than that. There's like one that's like the apple of Sir Job's and it's like talking about apple products. Apple anyway. Products, yeah. 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 Uh, anyway. So she's got a whole bunch of really cool stuff and uh, with the prophecies in her book. So yeah, huge, important driving force, force of the story. Uh, Aziraphale is a big fan, is a big fan of hers and uh, of the book. Uh, which is really cute, actually. Um, but anyway, she got done dirty, almost. So, you know, being correct at uh, dealing prophecies, you know, that kind of makes you, you know, suspected of witchcraft in her time period. Uh, she was actually just a really cool boss lady. They were not ready for that at that time. So, you know, burned at the stake, but most badass death ever. And I don't want to spoil it, so I won't. But let that be an indication. I think Maria did, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I'm being so good. You I'm being really so quiet. You wrote it. Oh, my God. You really <laughs> wrote it. I, okay, I'm happy you said the thing about her uh, telling people to jog before people understood exercise. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, but then I didn't. I mean, that kind of that kind of comes with being like that good of a yeah. singer to just be like, yeah. oh, she's, this is going to be a problem. She's a bad bitch. She's a bad bitch. Uh, but yeah, and uh, here's a little uh, a little image of the nice and accurate prophecies, but it's not the actual one. This is just uh, a journal that is has the cover that looks like the TV version of the nice and accurate prophecies. And I may or may not want to buy it now. <laughs> and, uh, control yourself. <laughs> anyway, uh, here's a quick little overview of just some of the key players in heaven and hell. Try to guess which one's Satan, I dare you. <laughs> yeah right it's so they make it so hard uh-huh uh but anyway uh there's a bunch of players in heaven and hell uh i will admit heaven doesn't get that much screen time in the book except for the metatron who in the tv show metatron? is the floating head of Derek Derek jacoby which makes me very happy uh for people who don't know the metatron is like a part of the bible a lot of people don't realize exists where it's basically or they're basically i don't really know what pronoun to use they're like the voice of god because god's busy being god i think is the general gist of it like an interpreter gotcha. almost gotcha yeah so uh that was so aziraphale has a whole awkward conversation with metatron in the book and it gets recreated in the tv show and it's lovely uh and then we also get uh haster and leaguer who are um, the ones with various things on their heads uh, in the TV show, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, and then we've also got some Does other that characters. Does have a frog on their head? Yes, that's Haster. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Love Haster. Uh, there's also been some really weird fan fiction with Haster. This is another thing. <laughs> Guys, so many weird Good Omens fan fics. I almost had a whole section on Good Omens fan fiction alone, but it removed it. Um... And then in the and then there's a bunch of other players in heaven or hell that show up at various times, uh, but Haster and Leaguer I think at the most screen time. And then in the TV show, there's a mention of Gabriel in the book, but then the TV show he's played by John Hamm, which is like, I mean, wham bam, thank you Hamm. <laughs> um, yeah, From what I remember that was very good casting. It was inspired, Excellent. inspired casting. 
Uh, so yeah, these guys are all just kind of in a big race to get to the apocalypse and both sides want it to happen because it means that they get to fight each other like a bunch of annoying, immature weirdos. And this brings us to the International Express Man. Yeah, there's more characters. <laughs> uh, but to be honest, all you need to know about the International Express Man for now, he is a delivery man. His name is Leslie and I would die for him. <laughs> I'm sorry, International <laughs> Express man. Yes, Do they mean this man huffs it across <laughs> countries. Maybe this man goes where you need him to go. No questions asked. He Always is a there. hero. He is a <laughs> hero. He is beautiful. He is precious. He lo- we love him. He is he- the postman from Twilight Princess. Yeah. <laughs> This man oh deserves God, ev- this man deserves everything. You don't know how hard I fell in love with this man when I first read the book. The really but terrifying yes. thing is that he looks like him after like he's been through a war. <laughs> okay, Leslie he's does go through, through a lot. lot, but he just does it. He does his job. Man <laughs> is dedicated. Man is, has happy, idyllic married life. Man is man is with the job. Man is everything. We love Leslie. Anyway. Now we move on to some quotes. Uh, you've already heard a lot of amusing stuff about Good Omens, but uh, I want to say that this is just such a quotable book. Here are some examples. First we have, the point is, the point is, the point is, the point is, the point I'm trying to make is the dolphins. <laughs> Crowley was drunk <laughs> while saying this. Yeah. <laughs> we also get, most bi- books on witchcraft will tell you that witches work naked. This is because most books on witchcraft are written by men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely took this as inspiration when writing our witch our witch episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. We also get, oh Lord, heal this spike. <laughs> Probably no, my favorite line in the entire book. It's just <laughs> so good. Yeah, Crowley being cheeky to Aziraphale, who. Uh, Basically, the reason Anathema leaves the book in Crowley's car is because Crowley hits her with it uh, <laughs> while she's on her bike. And Aziraphale, while healing Anathema, also decides to repair her damaged bike. Hence this. We also get ducks. Ducks. Yeah. I'm not going to explain that any further. This is... Okay. <laughs> ducks. Not And not to be confused with... Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not the fact, it's not the quote itself, but it's the fact that Aziraphale says it, that truly ah. is it. And that's all I will say about that. But yes, quotable, quotable book. And now we're gonna talk about the show a little bit more, but don't worry. I'm just gonna do everything that I put in these pictures. There's a lot oh. of- well, uh, <laughs> 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 This is uh, amazing. I why, have why did you sneak in a Brian David Gilbert clip here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going from left to top, left to right. First of all, we get a lovely additional scene in the book since we get more spotlight on heaven and hell in the that book, in the TV show. Uh, we get an amazing scene of John Hammond and Aziraphale's bookshop thanking him for pornography very loudly so everyone in the store can hear. It's beautiful. It's a work of art. Never change it. Um, we also get... Amazing, amazing costumes for Crowley uh, mm-hmm. slash David Tennant. And David Tennant rocks every single look. 
including this one from the 70s where he says the uh now iconic line among the fandom can i hear a wahoo oh. yeah. uh we also get in the similar getup uh of david Tennant. you see him uh dancing there with a in the yes. gif with a pin <laughs> with the funky green screen background uh yeah there's a whole uh, a whole joke about uh whether or not angels can dance on the head of a pin. And basically they're like, I guess demons can, if you can call what they do dancing. <laughs> and then we get, we were gifted this by the good omens, gods, oh <laughs> David Tennant. And, um, Oh my God, Ned Dennehy. And I can't remember the other actor, but, uh, the demon, the demon posse dancing it up in front of a green screen. It's everything I've ever wanted. Um, also we get, uh, yeah, I know I, I'm, I'm saving for the, one of the, images for last we also get uh like i said better insight on heaven and hell including what they look like uh heaven is the horrifying blank office space that i always thought it would be at least in part i'm hoping it's not actually like that um for those who believe in it uh but yeah super sterile super horrifying and then hell is just grungy as anything and has some amazing inspirational in quotes posters including the iconic please do not lick the walls which has become once again very popular among the fandom uh we also get a really fun okay the music in this is absolutely gorgeous look up the soundtrack if nothing else it's just so so good the theme song is a bop and we get this amazing theme sequence that reminds me so much of monty python especially like monty python and the holy grail with the animated sequences just absolutely like chef's kiss art the music the animation it just captures the essence of the story so perfectly um also adam and eve are black which makes so much sense in this and it made me so yes. happy like it someone it did it right that's the only way for once mm-hmm. yeah i'm like wow good job guys um also god is voiced by francis mcdormand which i haven't mentioned up until now but it good needs mentions job, guys. Mentioning. Again. yeah again inspired Francis McDormand is the also, perfect god. Special shout out to Earth being a Libra because that's also, also canon. True. That is canon in both the book and the TV show. Earth is a Libra. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's a whole joke about not eating salads, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, we also get this weird sequence. Uh, so there's a running gag in the book about uh, how communicating with Crowley through various forms of communication and they just decided to do this funny thing where uh, Haster shows up in like this weird animated I'm assuming program for children in a movie theater like a like kind of like you know how some movie theaters have like the pre the pre-trailers like little bits so I guess it's supposed to be something to keep kids occupied in the movies anyway I'm pretty sure the one of those bunnies in the picture gets murdered by Haster like a couple seconds after this shot <laughs> um, it's fine uh, we also get freaking David Tennant in a one-piece piece bathing suit in a bathtub. Look at him. Uh, also, a, lot, a couple of Doctor Who Easter eggs, including there's a scene where Crowley, in, in, a, in like a last oh. effort to avert the apocalypse, is looking for another planet to live on, and is like, oh, hey, Gallifrey. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I just think that's a funny Easter egg. So I picture <laughs> uh, the picture of the Gallifrey sheet behind David Tennant's head. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Crowley uh, being, um, what do you call it, Crowley being mean to his plants. And just Mm -hmm. most of these images you may have noticed are David Tennant because 
my god what a casting choice once again he i always pictured crowley as like a very like understated guy who like when i was reading the book at first like just kind of aloof just kind of like i don't know what to do with myself i'm socially awkward but then david tennant came and just decided to chew the scenery in every single scene he was in and just beautiful applause a fully unhinged boy yes fully unhinged and i was like i i i see crowley in a new way now and then uh finally there are some little tributes to uh terry pratchett that they throw into the series because according to sources it was one of terry pratchett's like again gone too soon but it was one of his wishes and late in his uh sickness that eventually you know caused his passing that neil gaiman his buddy uh kind of like their little Aziraphale and Crowley duo, I guess, uh, that he turns the TV show, or turns the novel, damn it, into a TV show. And I think he did a good job. All right. Well, pray for season two to be good. Mm-hmm. It will be. I believe Yay. it. Yay! Season two hasn't <laughs> dropped yet. That's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should probably put that in context, depending on when you're listening to this. Season two is not here yet. But yes, uh, as many of you have seen in this pic- in this slide, gay. <laughs> Another reason to love this show. You guys, I cannot tell you how gay, 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 gay. This, this is loading in. just so gay. <laughs> um, you guys, for real though, it's, um, just want to say really quickly, um, This is like, I fully, part of the reason why the lore and heinous investigations for angels and demons that we've heard so far is the way it is, is because of this book. This book says really openly that angels and demons are gender and sexless unless they really make an effort. And I think that Mm. is so true. Yeah. Because they're, they're otherworldly beings. What need do they have to be constricted by the human principles like the holy human principles of sex and gender. They're like, wheels with eyes on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. What gender is that? Only the hot ones. No. <laughs> wheels, no. That's a double joke because those bad boys are also on fire. Oh God, no. But yes, um, absolutely incredible. Uh, and they, they take this one step further in the TV series. Just turn every, you know, we get we get a non-binary pollution. We get, you know, unspecified mm. genders, regardless of whether or not the actors are male or female or non-binary or whatever in between. Like, it's just so diverse and we love that. And then beyond gender and sex, we also just get just, well, I think the best way to, to go from there is the relationship. The relationship. We're talking about Aziraphale and Crowley. Yes, the part I've been waiting for. Okay, yeah. These two are in love and nobody can nobody can argue otherwise. I mean, just, you can't even argue. Like, look at it just in pictures. There's no argument that can be yeah. made. There's no heterosexual explanation for the pushing <laughs> up against the wall. They're literally holding <laughs> hands in that one. Yes, they yeah. hold hands. They do. They hold hands. They go to lunch at the Ritz, which is like notoriously hard to get into and classy and posh as all hell. And they go there regularly on dates. 
And uh, just, oh my God, so much. There's just so much they do together. Like they get drunk together. They they meet up even when they have no reason to. They're an angel and a demon. They should, in all theoretical sense, hate each other, but they don't. They have bonded. Their relationship has transcended what we consider a relationship by human standards, which is why I will also usually say, while people do say that they're gay, uh, technically they're not male, even though they do use he, him pronouns. And I personally believe that once again, their relationship has transcended any ideas of what we have of sexuality, but we can still call it gay. Um, and just so much to unpack with this. Just Aziraphale for the longest time is like, I'm an angel. I have to deny my feelings for you. We're just really good friends, which funny enough is exactly what I first thought when I read this book. On first reading of Good Omens, I was like, wow, these guys are just such good friends. Then I read it a second time and went, oh. <laughs> and I was like, I like this better now. Um, but yeah, no, fully, I just think that whatever they have is just magical. Uh, there's a lovely addition, probably the longest cold open I've ever seen of a TV show in history. I believe it clocks in at somewhere between 30 and 32 minutes, where it's just chronicling Aziraphale and Crowley's history together and how they came to what is called the arrangement, uh, which is not as sexual as it sounds. Um, but yeah, they um, we get to see them in all different time periods. And I feel like the recurring theme of most of these is Aziraphale is stupid and gets himself in trouble. And then Crowley comes and saves his ass. This happens numerous times. Uh, and it's lovely. I have like, Crowley's just always got his back and it's so sweet. There's a bit in the book where like they both get hit by paintballs and Aziraphale's really like attached to his clothes and he gets sad about it because like, he's like, I'm not going to be able to get this fixed. I've had this for like decades. And Crowley's like, you're an angel, just use a miracle and get rid of it. And he's like, no, but I'll always know the stain is there. And then they take it a step further in the TV show and Crowley gets rid of it for him. And you're just Aww. like, ah. <laughs> but they do it's stuff like that. When there's a, I said before that there was a burning bookshop, but Zerafel's bookshop catches on fire. Crowley freaking runs in there without a thought because he thinks he's in there just to save this boy's ass from a burning building. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a hot second where he fully thinks Aziraphale is dead and has a full nervous breakdown and you really feel for him. The look, just the looks on their faces whenever they see each other is just beautiful. Uh, but yeah, just, just revel in these many pictures of them throughout time, them sitting on a bench, their like designated bench. They, they have dates in St. James Park. It's just, come on, so good. And I could gush about this much longer, but we're pressed for time. So in conclusion, to be honest i think i covered everything just if you like queen read the book watch the show if you like gay stuff read the book watch the show if you like satire you like queen watch the (laughs) (laughs) yes good if you if you like satire read the book watch the show if you have a soul read the book watch the show good omens is everything good omens is love good omens is life Thank you and good night. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, they're at the Ritz in this last the picture. Uh, one last note I will say, just because this picture brought it up for those who can't see, it is the picture of the end of the scene where they're 
they're fully in the Ritz doing a little cheers with their champagne and they're just so cute having their afternoon tea. Um, but I will say one more thing besides Queen songs, there's also a reference to the old song, classic song called The Nightingale Sang in Barclay Square. It's a beautiful song. Uh, I was first acquainted with it with like the Vera Lynn version. I think it was considered a post-war time song because, you know, Britain really went through it in World War II. So it was like a very iconic song, I think, at the time. And basically there's a reference to it in the book. And they, for the TV show, produced this beautiful Tori Amos, or almost I never know how to say her name, uh, cover of it. And I swear to God, every time I hear it, I tear up a little. It's just so lovely. Um, I cannot play it for copyright reasons, but that's going to be my final note here. And it's just, it just ends so beautifully. And then Neil Gaiman at the end of the at the end of the credits, at the end of the song, gives a little like you know message to Terry Pratchett, and it's just <clears throat> so good, so good. I don't know if I mentioned about the Easter eggs for Terry Pratchett before. I know I did mention the Easter eggs, but I think, did I mention that his hat is in his Airfield bookshop? I think I did. Anyway. It was labeled in the picture. It was labeled in the picture. It was labeled in the picture, but I forgot to say it out loud. But yes, it's just big love to Terry Pratchett. This is just everything I think he would have wanted. Everyone did such a good job. Just, oh my God. Yeah, that's it. Any questions? Um, Neil Gaiman also did The Sandman, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Neil Gaiman is, for the most part, good at adapting his work. Not always, but like 90% of the time. The more creative control he has. um, The like gender and sexuality stuff reminded me that, like, oh, yeah, the Sandman also exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Gaiman, I gotta say, Terry Bradshaw and Neil Gaiman were, even for their time period, pretty progressive with that stuff, which is like just, again, just lovely. Uh, so it looks like there's only a minute left on this call. So thank you all for listening to this long time coming presentation. I really appreciate it. Bye. We appreciate everybody. you. Oh, okay. Well now that, okay. Now I feel like, oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And remember to always avert the apocalypse. Always. <laughs>